0: Hello, friends. Trace your finger around the golden circle of your mind. It's me, Dale Seaver, and I am so pleased to be with you in what the northern people call the season of rainbows. I am your host, guide, and guru as I take you on a guided meditation through this next hour of regrets and revelations. Fasten your spiritual seatbelts and make sure you've filled your protein pouches because tonight on the program we're covering a lot of terrain. Focus on the sound of my voice as we conjure the ghosts in the ground, cheat death on a glacier, and make friends with the wee folk who live for lava and mischief. Yes, we're opening up a portal to bring you tales from the smoky bay of Reykjavik tonight as we broadcast from the 4 a.m. hour. This is The Deep Night. Deep Night, Deep Night, Deep Night. Over the ten years of doing this program, I have sometimes struggled to communicate what this show is about. People I meet on the street or at swap meets often want the elevator pitch of the show, and it's something I've long had trouble coming up with. Sometimes I want to say, well, it's a mechanism for me to escape my ongoing and debilitating grief by talking to people I admire and creating a vehicle that allows me a brief distraction from the hurtful world outside by curling into a soft turtleneck and talking quietly for an hour but that's not so helpful for the press or getting the attention of podcast networks. What is this podcast? Well, I know what it's not. It's not two bros talking about the sporting life. It's not a forum where we dissect the poor career choices of famous people. It's not a place where I offer sex advice, though many have pushed for me to go in that direction. The Deep Night is a late-night diner with only counter-seating. I keep things clean and get the conversation going, and you, one of my regulars, enjoy a hearty cup of joe and a slice of pie, or a waffle, if the griddle's hot. We welcome other people in, talented people, who drop in from time to time on their way through town or on their way to a gig, and I talk to them about how they conjure their own existence, how they have the courage to move from one place to another, to build a life that also involves being in front of other people, telling jokes, making music, acting, writing, whatever it is. How do they deal with the dualities of a creative pursuit, being a person while also being another person? I mean, isn't that what we're all doing? The deep night is a submersible vessel built for two. You, me, and whatever strange creature lights up the absolute darkness of a trench in the South Pacific. We're startled by some that glow by because the light comes from their bodies, and B, sometimes those bodies are weird and see-through or full of teeth." "'We marvel at their tenacity for living next to a hot gaseous vent. "'We admire the jellyfish-like creatures with the iridescent shimmer of red and yellow "'that courses through its innards like a sign on the Reno Strip "'or a cheap toy in Chinatown that resembles a lotus blossom. "'The deep night is many things. "'It could be more, and maybe it should be less.' (laughs) But for now we're here, together, so let's honor this space. Let's hold each other in this realm and be satisfied. Things are okay here. Can you hear my spirit drum beating in time with yours? Of course you can. If you're sitting somewhere with your legs crossed and your drawstrings loosened a fresh pot of tea made from moss warming on the electric burner you call your stove, and you breathe in the smoke from your incense and use an empty ramen cup-a-noodle as a holder for your many remotes, then, friend, we are in the same place. We come to you tonight as we always do, from a circle of love and the foul banks of the Gowanus. The Guanas Canal, for you new listeners, is a polluted waterway in Brooklyn from which all manner of things emerge, mostly cancerous fumes. "'but I'm sure other stuff, too. "'Friends, do you find yourself turning to the healing power of crystals "'for guidance in your everyday life, "'as a means to bring positive energy into an existence "'mostly defined by ornate prayer pillows made damp from night crying "'and days spent grazing thrift store racks "'for trousers that fit and have no visible stains? "'Perhaps a way for you to feel better "'is to spend a little money on colorful rocks.' And then once a year, remembering that you're supposed to charge them or something by putting them on a want to say, windowsill, I think. Well, we're always learning here on the deep night, so let's learn a little more about these beings we call crystals, but in reality are ghosts trapped by pressure and geologic force. It's time once again for an informative segment we call Dirt Spirits. Dirt Spirits. Dirt Spirits. All crystals were once people. We know this to be true. The great book tells us so. When a person is buried, their life force leaches out into the soil or tar pits, and while the bones dissolve into soap, that same life force transmits into the rock and excites the molecules, and over the course of three to five years, a crystal is born. If you listen carefully on a wet spring day, you can hear their tiny baby crystal yelps, usually near the roots of a tree or under a patch of daffodils. Today's dirt spirit is one that I'm awfully fond of when times are blue. If I've been sad eating in a parking lot or writing texts to my ex-wife and immediately erasing them, I always reach across my sleeping hammock for one of my favorite stones, rose quartz. How about some hard science facts about rose quartz? It's the only crystal that can be found naturally occurring in all four states of matter, gas, liquid, metal, and the blue gel they put in ice packs. The Inuit tribes of southern Indiana used this stone as a building material to erect colorful temples and build penny candy stores where everyone loved the grass-flavored suckers. Buffaloes devour the rose quartz of the Great Plains, digging it out of the ground with their long retractable snouts. It's what gives them their shiny coats. Lyndon B. Johnson had a piano made out of it, which he gifted to Lady Bird on her 63rd birthday. We had a lot of fun that night. When pressed, Rose Quartz releases a tiny drop of salt water. These ghost tears are actually from an ancient ocean that exists miles and miles beneath the earth's brittle crust. Here's how you can make use of this dandy little pick-me-up in your daily routine. First of all, you gotta find it. Where the heck do I do that, Dale? Well, I'll tell you. It grows near pegmatites. So keep digging till you find a pegmatite nest. Pegmatites are voracious nocturnal creatures and live in massive colonies three to four inches below the surface of most backyards in South Dakota or Madagascar. Lemurs taunt them, so best to keep your lemur locked in a lemur cabinet until you've collected all your specimens and thoroughly washed the scent of pegmatite scat off your digging trousers. You could also go to Brazil, but bring a raincoat. Once you've retrieved your rose quartz by unclenching the jaws of the pegmatites and breaking them free, it's best to bathe your new stones to help them acclimate to your home or garden shed. I suggest a ritual bath of hot oil and fragrant curries under a super wolf blood moon and in the company of a powerful witch or local small business owner. Preferably this would happen on a Tuesday when nosy neighbors Ted and Krista are away at couples counseling. God has them. I hope they work it out. Also, I would like it if my upstairs neighbor would stop working out, because the screeching of the Peloton machine is keeping me up. And whether you fill the pockets of your robes with them or hang them in clusters around your kerosene heater, you'll never be sad again with these helpful dirt spirits around. You can also bring them to work, but don't tell Sheila. Dirt spirits. Isn't that something? What a special rock. And here's another fun fact. Most rose quartzes were jilted lovers when they were people. But now they're ghosts. Ghosts who haunt you with their pent-up love energy. Have we already done this segment before? I can't remember. I know we talked about pyrite. Oh, well, it's fun to revisit things. We do that on this program. Sometimes I can't remember if I have food in my mouth or not. And that ends up being pretty uncomfortable at the buffet table. Sometimes crystals can be used to transport you over vast distances. These traveling stones are often greenish in color with flecks of gold. I recently threw a handful of these rocky gems into the river while praying for an escape and speaking the ancient spell kayak. And I ended up on a flight to the land of ice and fire. That's right, hashtag humblebrag. Just kidding, actual brag. I went to Iceland. hot mist from the geyser settled on the bright yellow rain-slickers of the Taurus downwind. This was the little geyser, because the big one had decided that enough was enough with all the blowing and gushing, and was now what I become on Sundays, dormant. The little one performed as directed, sending off stream of steam and boiling water high into the damp air every few minutes. I was busy trying to get little pieces of dried fish and butter out of my teeth from the designated lunch spot as we entered hour four of our ten-hour tour. There's nothing like standing in front of a beautiful natural wonder, holding up a phone, waiting for something to happen, and then as soon as it does, walking away. As we dodged gurgling streams of boiling water on our way back down from the geysers, I thought I saw a small figure dart behind a rock. (laughs) I looked again, but there was nothing. It was a red eye flight and Iceland air kept things very warm, so I attributed my seeing things like little men in beards eating donuts to the fact that we had arrived at five fifty five AM and hadn't really adjusted to the current time zone. You'd think someone who travels by portal would be better at adjusting to new realities by now, but no, no, I still get drowsy, and have to sit down for a spell. The key is never giving into it and just ploughing through no matter how many visions you may have. "'Our tour guide, Hilda ulfsen daughter helgeson "'was a knowledgeable gal, "'who, as it turns out, left a job at Interpol "'to go and work in the bustling Icelandic tourism industry. "'But does anyone really leave Interpol behind? "'I mean, I'm pretty sure this meant that Hilda is still a spy, "'and this bus tour through the natural beauty of Iceland thing "'is a cover for rooting out international criminals. "'I bet her fleece vest was really Kevlar "'and that her coffee cup was probably a smoke grenade. "'I was on to Hilda from the start.' It lent a certain thrill to the slog through the volcanic landscape and endless waterfalls we endured that day. I mean, it it's beautiful and lovely, but you put me on a bus and I'm going to go to sleep, which I had wanted to avoid on account of the jet lag, but on this day the bus, driven by a former international woman of mystery, won out. I dozed as we zipped past old volcanoes and little organic farms and rocks covered in moss. So many rocks, so much moss. "'Galinda and I had promised that we'd take baby Pepsi "'to some place exotic for a spring break. "'Well, I promised. And "'Then I forgot, and then was saddled "'with figuring something out at the last minute, "'and I noticed that Easter celebrations in Iceland "'are pretty big deals, big outdoor fires "'and huge plates of fermented shark meat, "'giant chocolate eggs filled with salted licorice, "'and roaming bands of elderly men in Viking hats "'singing Icelandic folk songs about reindeer. "'What more could a kid want? "'I mean, was it really that different from Disney World?' Pepsi's first choice. Pepsi went along with it because we promised her ice cream. Galinda was happy, too, because she had arranged to attend a few sessions on Nordic-inspired healing rituals on the east coast of the island, something to do with lava soap and moss facials. So while she was out there, Pepsi stayed behind to explore the country with me and buy some magnets. I did get a boost from the lamb soup and several cardamom-flavored Kleiner donuts that I grabbed at the rest stop. The energy helped me focus, and I tried to get to know as many of the other people on the bus as I could. It's always fun on an international trip to meet people from around the world. You never know what kind of potential visits you can set up just by making a friend on a bus once. I stayed in a lot of nice homes around the world simply by beginning with a friendly, "'So where are you from?' But on this trip, there was another element. You ever meet someone and realize right away that they have an opposite energy from yours?' "'Not in an M.C. scat kind of way of opposites attracting, "'but in a repellent way that says, "'We are two enemies, and we will fight on the psychic battlefield "'for as long as our bodies walk the earth and perhaps into the great beyond.' "'A person like this sat in front of me. "'I felt the ripples of negative energy when she first arrived at the bus stop "'at the beginning of our day.' "'The sun was only partially out at the moment, "'and she arrived huffing and puffing, carrying a backpack, "'dressed in a way that said, "'I'm uncomfortable with my actual age. "'She walked up the small hill and started doing sun salutations. "'You can imagine where this is going. "'Now I should have left it alone. "'I did not mean to provoke the bear. "'I tried to be kind. "'I said one off-handed remark that I assure you was not ill-intentioned "'or even the little tiniest bit mean-spirited, truly just stating a fact.' and she quickly turned around and made it seem like I had struck her with a dagger. You could almost see the negative lightning arcing off of her designer sunglasses. I must again tell you, all I said was something about handing me a pamphlet about a crater lake, and that signaled her that the battle was on. We had stopped at a gas station near a place that had a logo of a drunken piggy bank with the word bonus underneath. Pig bonus? I assumed it's some kind of dollar store or discount butcher— and the pamphlets were handed out when we got back on the bus. Someone asked me for one, and the point is, the rest of the day, and indeed until our souls are put to rest, she shot me dirty looks, pushed me out of the way, and generally was just undermining the rest of the trip. Always the last one back, intentionally mishearing Hilda about where to meet up. We were suddenly on her tour, and I found that irritating. And you could tell that, like me, yoga and the healing arts are important to this person. It was a reminder that some people need yoga, like really need it, like they're nothing without it. My new friend, Stella, who was from Denmark and a bit of a pill herself, leaned in at some point during the day and said, "'I see why she's traveling alone. She's an asshole.'" (laughs) And we chuckled at the bluntness of it all. "'I like Stella!' Her blonde bowl-cut and sensible shoes suggested that we would have a lot of fun email exchanges in our future." The disruptive force, who we learned along the way, was from a London suburb just near the airport, so near that she could hear the airplanes going over, and so maybe we get a little sense of her inner unhappiness there, right? Living cheaply by the airport, forcing yoga upon herself, never the right temperature. She one hundred percent has more than one essential oils diffuser in her home. At one point, when Hilda was desperately trying to find her since the rest of us were ready to go and had followed instructions, Hilda said her name aloud. I won't say it now, but you better believe I looked that name up on Instagram using the free Wi-Fi on the bus, and I shocked myself once again at how completely right I was about this person. Full of targeted rage in real life, all posts of her posing and making duck faces and cheery inspirational quotes in her gram life. It looked as if a MySpace page had just taken root on Instagram and flourished. Glittery letters and gifs and her making the same pose in every photo... We made a little surprise stop at a secret hot lagoon. And by the way, there was a lot of nudity on this trip. Every hot spring required a shower before and after being in the healing waters, which okay, but also some European folks a little more free with their dingles and their dangles in the public zone. Now, I'm no stranger to clothing-optional facilities, and I've been in all sorts of showers, some private, some public. So it was okay for me, but still, I got to know some of my busmates in ways I had not expected. "'In the lagoon our timing was such that I emerged from the men's showers in my trunks "'and out by the side of the pool at the same time as my psychic enemy. "'I tried to let her go first down the slippery stone steps that led into the water "'cause heaven forbid something should happen, "'but she insisted I go first because, of course, she had to make a thing out of it. "'She lowered herself into the lagoon while keeping her phone out of the water's reach "'and proceeded to wade over to the hottest part of the pool, "'snapping pouty selfies along the way. "'Look.' "'I don't mean to judge someone. "'We all project a better life through Instagram. "'It's why it's there. "'But when you see the shallowness, the pure fallacy of it all, "'it's not surprising, but it is glaring, "'and I couldn't help but notice. "'I had a fine time in the water. "'Pepsi floated on a noodle, "'and we took turns picking up rocks with our toes. "'I walked around the edge of the lagoon "'to point out the tiny geysers that were erupting, "'and while I was relaxed, "'every breath I took in was like breathing "'in a plate full of old eggs and lit matches.' I wondered if Icelandic people craved that sulfur smell, and whether there was a market for a new kind of candle. Lost in thought, I heard the bus beep its horn, and it was time to get changed. The woman was late again. Hilda was keeping her cool, but it was really starting to get to me. I don't have to tell you. The healing arts community is full of rivalries. Dennis Goodweather and Mary Heartstone battled for ages over the benefits of snail milk. Dr. Riley and Janet Dudege never settled the basement trampoline wars of the 1980s. These things define the industry, and in some cases make for better products. But this thing I was in, it had no good ending. I turned to baby Pepsi, her face covered in chocolate and salt from a half-eaten licorice egg, and I said, You want to get out of here? She nodded, and while we couldn't technically get off the tour bus at that point, and there were no taxis to speak of uh, in the country, three hours later... We walked briskly off that bus, I thanked Hilda for a great tour, and played a game of outdoor chess in the rain by the harbor with Pepsi. That night I took out a little metal Thor figure I purchased at the rest stop. It's gold or bronze and features a much more gnomic-looking Thor than the one of the movies or comics. Holding Little Thor in my hand, I closed my eyes, imagined a hammer, and made a wish that this mean yoga lady never lay eyes on the northern lights. That night it rained and stormed, and I thanked the mighty God of thunder for answering my prayer. I felt kind of bad about my actions, but I took a melatonin that I bought at the bodega in Brooklyn before I left, some kind of industrial-grade stuff that the owner Melvin swears by when he travels internationally.' "'He said it was best with a little whiskey, "'but all I had was a tiny bottle of birch liqueur "'that I had purchased with a stick in it. "'So I drank it quickly, washed down the pills, "'and fished the stick out of the bottle and went to sleep. "'I woke up to the sound of bells and Icelandic chatter "'and what felt like a smack to my side. "'I called out to Pepsi, but my voice sounded funny, "'like it was coming from a different part of my throat.' I walked over a few steps in a kind of sideways motion. Was I on all fours? The ground was wet and soft, and, oh, my God, the smell. Like sulfur, but more. I couldn't see in front of me, so I turned my head to look at the ground and get a sense of where I was. Hay. There was hay all over the ground, and I got super hungry right away. Oh, dear. I heard another funny voice like my own, but this time I understood it. "'as if it were language, and the thing I heard formed a thought in my head. "'Dark gone. Move now.' "'I realized then what had happened. "'I had warged into an Icelandic horse. "'My ability to take over the mind of animals is by now well documented. "'This was going to end up being quite a day. "'I felt a harness being put over my neck, "'and a little rod inserted between what large teeth I had left, "'and kept biting down on it to find a comfortable position, "'but there was none.' "'And then I was led out into the hallway of the stables "'and introduced to a man wearing an orange jumpsuit named Gunther. "'He was going to ride me to-day. "'He looked nervous, and I was nervous too. "'A woman of great length led me out of the stables to the muddy yard, "'and I was so overcome with thirst that I darted for the metal bucket full of water "'that the two other horses were drinking from. "'I won't kid you, it had a little funky taste to it. "'Notes of old hay and metal... "'But there was also this very different other taste, "'the taste of the rain and all the times it had ever fallen, "'once sitting in the needles of a pine tree, "'once on the back of a rabbit, "'once a tiny drop in the middle of a vast lake just north of here. "'I was tasting time, and the water had depth, "'and it was reassuring to me, a horse. "'I was thinking about mouthfeel when a yank of my reins "'pulled my head out of the water "'and I felt a smooth, heavy item being put on my back "'and fastened around my low-hanging belly.' "'Gunter had a low-hanging belly, too, but his shoulders were not as strong. "'I bellowed through this thing in my mouth. "'The grey horse, Magriner whinnied in agreement as she tossed her mane "'and looked out toward the lava-fields. "'I liked Magriner an awful lot, but I was thinking about her. "'The saddle tightened as it was being cinched, "'and other than catching a little piece of hair in it. "'It didn't hurt to wear. "'I was used to it, despite this being my first time. "'Speaking of hair, I was shedding.' badly, and it was getting everywhere. We were all shedding. I gathered it was just the time of year for it. Somehow I knew that a new coat was coming in, a shorter coat, for spring. I was looking forward to it. But still, a few long white hairs were stuck in my eyelids, and I had to blink rapidly to try to get them out. The rain wasn't helping. Just then my saddle lurched to one side, and I felt a tremendous weight on my back. It wasn't unmanageable, but I stopped my foot a few times just to signal that I was going through something. I tried to turn my head to get a look at what it was, but I could only see this orange jumpsuit bulging at the middle. I knew it was Gunther. He was breathing heavy after hoisting himself onto my back. I tasted waffles and yogurt in the air. At that point, I woke up back in my bed in my own human body, covered in sweat and desperate for some fresh air. I rubbed my temples and stretched, and something caught my eye by the window. A small woman, dressed entirely in grey, with a long black braid, was standing there holding a stone and looking right at me. She giggled, (laughs) and then ran toward the bedroom door. Just as she got close, she vanished in a puff of sulfurous smoke. Had I really warged into a horse? Was it the bodega medicine reacting with the tree liquor? No, I knew right away that this fever dream was a night enchantment from the Hildefolk. The Hilda folk, or hidden folk, have lived in Iceland for centuries. They walk between realities. I guess they were teaching me a lesson about using a Thor prayer for dark purposes. I said aloud, I get it, hidden ones, I get it. (laughs) I saw no further signs of them, and with that, the jet lag once again caught up with me, and I drifted back to sleep. The next morning, I checked our itinerary and was not surprised that we had planned a day of horseback riding. <laughs> that we folk were not only teaching me a lesson, but trying to get me to see things from another perspective. Maybe I would remember that before judging people next time. Magic lessons are a little heavy-handed, as it turns out. But, okay, sure. Let's live this memory from another perspective. Pepsi was excited to finally get on a horse, and I was excited to see if I could recognize my animal self. I did not. In fact, after watching the video, suiting up, putting on my large helmet, and being introduced to my horse, whose name I thought was Solar, I can honestly say I felt no kinship with the beast who would be my companion for the next little while. The instructional video talked about establishing trust between you and your horse. Now, I played a lot of that Zelda game and captured a lot of wild horses, so I know that periodically you have to lean over and pet the horse to get it to bond with you. So I was doing a lot of that while saying its name, Easy Solar, Gentle Solar, We'll do this together, Solar. There was never any trust there. I can't tell you how I know, but this horse was not in to me. If it saw a patch of green grass, it tried to eat it, yanking me forward and disregarding all of my hay there, Solars. That horse had its own agenda, and it was to eat whatever it saw and drink whatever it wanted to, and the rest of the time it just nuzzled its head into whichever horse's rear end was in front of me. Recently, I found out that in addition to maybe just not liking me, the horse's name was Solon and not Solar. So maybe that had something to do with it. But I tell you this, it was a fine day, but I don't think the horseback life is really for me. This turtleneck cowboy will not be riding the dusty plains anytime soon. If I was ever called upon to ride a horse out into the west with all my worldly possessions to begin again in a log cabin somewhere in some frontier town, I would not make it. I'd be bones drying in the desert sun, picked apart by vultures as my horse rode off to become a wildling, adopted by Apaches or something. My grandfather was a circuit preacher, riding a horse through British Columbia, spreading the good word to parishioners. My mother ri- I loved riding out in the American Southwest through Santa Fe and Albuquerque. But me, I think I'd better stick to the back seat of an Uber or Lyft, if that's more politically correct. Sometimes we're born at the moment that best suits us. The next day I found out that speed apparently was not my thing either. You'd think, maybe the horse was just too slow for you, Dale. Well, (laughs) I'm flattered, but I'm not, despite what you may have read on Reddit or in the many volumes of fan fiction that have been published about this program and me in particular. Just, I'm not an extreme sportsman. I know that comes as quite a shock to some of you, but it's true. I thought a gentle ride on a snowmobile through a long glacier of Iceland's western interior would provide sweeping vistas and an invigorating connection to the spirits of the earth. Sometimes an extreme environment can reaffirm your existence and anchor your place in the world. On this day, I was just lucky I didn't break my wrist. The drive was long and bumpy. Our Captain Pieter, a skilled man, and the fact that he was bald put me at ease. The way all bald men put people in a state of calm, men in wigs scare me. What else are they hiding? The thing you realize about any of these adventurous nature trips is how much effort there actually is in getting to the place that is stunningly beautiful. And that whole journey is ugly and takes far too long. Like life, I guess. You got into a lot of bleak, muddy roads and gray skies to get to one little view that overlooks a valley and you think, oh, this is nice. And that truly only lasts like a second or two. The rest is the climb. "'The road to Longicle winds right through the mountains. "'We rode in a modified Ford truck hybrid that had enormous tires "'that had to be deflated to make it over the rocky terrain, "'like a city bus when it has to let on a person in a wheelchair. "'The wind was blowing and a light rain falling, "'but still I thought this will be a fun activity for everyone to enjoy.' "'We got to our base camp, a couple of trailers arranged together, "'and we were outfitted with riding gear and helmets. "'Once again, I was dressed in bright orange, "'a color I never gravitate to, "'and one that I can truly say is not flattering. "'And on account of my glasses, "'I had to wear a special helmet with a visor. "'I always love getting special treatment. "'The issue here was that on account of how cold it was outside, "'the inside of the visor would quickly fill with steam "'from my breath and face.' and in the rain it meant foggy inside, rainy outside, and at that point, at that point I probably should have asked for some help. (laughs) I wasn't even on the snowmobile yet. We awkwardly climbed back into a big modified truck that brought us to the base camp, and drove slipping and sliding in the snow towards our pod of snowmobiles. There they were, bright, red, shiny, and big, bigger than I had remembered snowmobiles being. "'I had ridden one as a teen, "'and on that one occasion where we visited "'one of my dad's friends in the Poconos "'and rode out to an empty lot to shoot guns at beer cans. "'I remember being fairly confident as a fourteen-year-old "'about riding a snowmobile then, "'and it felt like it would be an easy thing to return to. "'It was not. "'Galinda had rejoined us for this adventure "'and wisely chose to just take it slow "'with baby Pepsi holding on the back of their shared machine. "'I went solo.' And in all honesty, in all honesty, up to this point, I was convinced, since I had not requested or paid extra for a solo adventure, that I would be paired with a guide or another solo person, and that I would merely be along for the journey. Instead, I was given my own snowmobile, and many instructions about what would happen that would make the machine roll. The safety instructor mentioned rolling so many times that I started to think, well, this must be a pretty easy machine to roll. After a few words about our path and how to stop and how to kill the engines when we get to the top of the glacier, notable among the words not said were stay in the tracks of the person in front of you, we set off in a single file up into the snow. The rain had turned into a pelting ice and was now coming down at a much faster rate. As we accelerated forward, the speed at which the wet ice covered my special visor increased its velocity and ferocity, and soon my entire visor was covered, and I was desperately trying to A, see the tracks in front of me as the person raced ever forward, and B, make out anything at all as a low bank of clouds had descended.' "'and the white clouds met the white snow, which met the visor, covered in fog and ice, "'and as I pushed the button to go faster, I noticed that it was much less bumpy "'if one did not stay in the tracks of the person ahead of me, "'and so I opted for the smooth, undisturbed snow to the right of the trail. "'The machine, which I should mention, had been beeping loudly the entire time, "'with a blinking light saying something about the engine, which was not a calming sound.' "'shook rather violently, as I did what I could to stay on and move forward and not lose sight of the guides, "'and when I say it was rough going, know that I could truly barely hold on "'as it wobbled and thrusted and jostled me side to side, beeping the entire way. "'My mistake was going for the gentle, easy snow. "'The machine hit a soft patch. "'I tried to lean in to ensure that it would not roll, as instructed, "'but I could not deter its motion at that point. "'We had entered a full-momentum situation.' and doing what I was told, I pulled my body in and relaxed as best I could as the machine rolled to its side and sputtered to a stop a few feet ahead of me. I was thrown clear of the snowmobile and into a pile of mushy, wet snow. I could see now that there was a huge divot that my skids must have hit. As I reached my mitten hands into the visor to clear a wad of snow that had lodged in there upon impact— "'I could swear I saw a small man put something in his mouth "'and then duck behind the overturned snowmobile. <laughs> "'Were the hidden folk still trying to teach me a lesson? "'What was it?' "'I felt my body and let out a little meep of joy "'that it was uh, miraculously uninjured. "'Later that night I would feel a little ache in my wrist "'and a soreness in my neck, "'but nothing that a few Advil and a sips of weird alcohol "'couldn't take care of. "'One of the tour guys zipped over and helped me right the beast.' He let me know that I had to adjust the visor differently. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for that. And that I must stay in the tracks of the person ahead of... I get it. I see now what they meant. Galinda and Pepsi went by slowly, and I indicated that I was okay. They did not stop. And I have mixed feelings about that still. But something to explore in our truth circles next week. I got back on, nervous. But knowing that at least now I know the worst thing that could happen, uh, what that felt like. Not dying, that would be worse. But like rolling a snowmobile is no big deal. It happens. As I got on, I noticed a little tightening around my middle, and I had the sudden hankering for a Kleiner donut and coffee. I looked down, and there was a gray sleeve of a puffy coat around my waist. I had picked up a (laughs) folk. I hoped this meant that he was there to protect me. I sped off again, trying my best to keep the visor clear and the skids riding in the established tracks where I could see them. We made it to the top, and still shaking, I took off the visor and tried to take in the beauty of the glacier, which I have to say, due to the white-out conditions, was a little less than spectacular. Plus the young Eastern European couple. Oh yes, them. He of the ripped jeans and no socks, a curious choice for a day of glacier hopping, and she of the constant hacking on the bus, well, the fella lit up a cigarette on the top of the glacier, and that was an unexpected odour. I thought I had mistakenly ended up in a gas station in St. Louis. I snapped a few glacier selfies and checked in with the gal and Pep. They were all okay and having fun. Relieved, I think, that I was also okay. Apparently another couple rolled their machine as well, which did make me feel better. My Hildefolk hitchhiker was tinkering with my machine's control panel, and I don't know what they did, but when I started up again, the beeping had stopped. There was little sympathy from the guides, but they obliged when I asked to be put in the slow group in the back, and I had a much better time going down the mountain. The rain let up and the clouds lifted just enough so that one could see the watery pinks and yellows and purples of the afternoon sky. I took it easy as the hidden fellow let out excited screams as we crossed over the hilly terrain. I kept my visor adjusted properly this time, but that meant that my beard froze, clotted with ice particles, and my turtleneck got a little damp. "'but thankfully I was able to see the path in front of me "'and savor the beauty of this magical place. "'When we slid to the stop at a gathering point at the bottom, "'I happily shut off the engine and never looked back. "'I offered the Hidden Folk a piece of Easter chocolate from my food pocket, "'which it grabbed and then quickly ran off and disappeared behind the truck's big tires. "'Pepsi held on the entire time, "'but seemed as happy as I was to be done with this particular adventure.' "'We sipped hot chocolate and ate off-brand Oreos back at base camp, "'where I also discovered that my trousers were soaked in such a way "'that it really looked like I had wet my pants. "'And for a moment I wasn't sure that I hadn't. "'Across the Icelandic countryside you'll see small structures "'that residents have set up for the hidden folk to live in. "'Some of them were presumably built by the wee people themselves. "'Some are nothing more than moss-covered stones artfully arranged.' Others have little chimneys and cedar shingles with generous skylights that let in the endless summer light. This is the time of year that you may come across the remnants of their many celebrations. Tiny smoldering remains of bonfires or wee mugs with traces of coffee or booze left in them. You'd have to be really looking for them to catch them dancing, though, especially under the greenish glow of the waning northern lights. It's rare for hidden folk to make themselves visible to people. But I guess I have a trusting face. It's the same quality that inspires people to ask me directions on the street no matter what city I'm in. Whatever the reason, a hidden folk now lives with us in New York. I guess he snuck into my bag as I was packing because we have welcomed Joe Cool as part of our family, I think. I'm not sure what the rules are here, but I told him he was welcome to stay for as long as he needed. Turns out he's been busy trying to get out of a difficult family situation. And he's always wanted to see other rocks, so he's built a little apartment inside our apartment, mostly from a few tree branches and old pizza boxes he's collected in the neighborhood. Also, turns out he thinks we have better donuts here. (laughs) I can't argue with that. (laughs) Most nights he stays out. I guess walking the street and seeing the sights collecting trash and rocks... "'but he's there every morning sitting on my chest when I wake up, "'sipping a tiny thimble full of coffee. "'As long as my landlord doesn't find out, we're okay. "'They're pretty strict about having a pet deposit. "'I've learned that a hidden folk is what happens "'when a person is not turned into a crystal. "'They're people-vapors that escape and walk among the stones, "'not truly alive or dead, but something in between, "'able to travel through different realms.' Mostly, they make sure the earth stays healthy, tending to controlled lava flows and weeding their moss gardens. They're friendly, but after getting to know one, a little needy. All meeting new friends, even magical stowaways who have cheated death and now live in a trash home inside your home, is fun. I hope someone or something ends up moving into your house. Well, that's what happened to me when I went to Iceland. I do love exploring the world, but I also like spending time with you here at home. In fact, we can spend some time together in person next week when we send off the current season with a big live finale episode at the Slipper Room. On Wednesday, May 15th, I'll be sitting down with Griffin Newman, Emmy Blotnick, Lindsay Broad, and Samus for a discussion about nerding out, acting, making music, crystals, and more. We'll also have Cornelius Loy on the Theremin, 96B providing the dance and a special Seaver family member making her Deep Night debut... Tickets and information for the show are up at deepnightshow.com. Do you know, (laughs) I didn't, that we've done roughly 300 episodes of this show? We have. Should I have celebrated? Yes. Will we? Probably. I'll have to figure that out. But for now, for now, let's both pour a glass of nice Icelandic moss wine into a chalice and put a cactus in the windowsill and reflect on all that we have accomplished uh, together, but also the things that I have accomplished together on my own personalized reading this week goes out to jeremiah landislier of dorton Bend, kentucky jeremiah rolling a snowmobile is no big deal lucky numbers this week are 300 episodes are you kidding <laughs> that's something i'm gonna outlast them all well folks from yokel galinda and i thanks for listening and remember that although this night is ending a bright new day is just ahead Deep Night with Dale is independently produced by James Puley. He's gotten used to answering to the name Dale when people see him. Season 11 podcast icon by Candace Brosma. Season 11 podcast theme by Zach Gabbard. Music heard throughout the show by the talented roster at Haller Hills Farm in Ohio. Season 11 poster artwork contributed by illustrators Catherine Lamb, Maria Wen, Scott Balmer, Ronald Horn Industries, and Laurent Rybeck. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this show on Apple Podcasts. Even if you listen on some other fine platform, zip over there and leave us a couple of stars. Uh, The show is weekly with live events every other month at the Slipper Room in Manhattan on the Lower East Side. Thank you for listening and for your kind support. Now with Gaia's blessings, let's seal the portal.